Morning, everybody. We are, uh, we're starting up a new, yeah, <laughs> see, I just, I just wait for it. We're going to start up a new uh, sermon series today, and it is called Keep It 100. Uh, I got to be honest with you, this, this Keep It 100 thing, I don't, it's a little bit like the rapper 50 Cent, who goes by 50 Cent. I don't know if I'm supposed to pronounce this Keep It 100, Keep It 100, Keep It 100, I don't know. Um. I think that the, the creative arts team in Beloit, they're super awesome, and they kind of come up with some of this stuff, but I also think they're a little younger than me, and they know what's going on with stuff a little bit more. So I'm starting to feel old. Uh, it's kind of annoying. But I actually had to, if I'm going to be really honest, I had to go to the Urban Dictionary to figure out exactly what Keep It 100 meant. For those of you who are a little older than me, the Urban Dictionary is this thing on the World Wide Web that tells you what slogan, lingos and stuff, whatever. So that's what I did. And supposedly it's just like, keep it real. Let's be honest. Found that out. I was actually looking at my, on my phone this week at something on my calendar with one of the kids from the youth group. And we were looking at something on uh, next Saturday, June 8th. And she saw on there that it said, keep it 100. And she started laughing at me. She's like, do you write encouragements for what you're going to do every day? Like you're, gonna, you're just going to keep it real that day? I was like, no. Our sermon series are on there. She didn't believe me. So I know that I'm not cool enough to use this kind of lingo, which me- means that I really wish I was in Beloit today to watch Pastor David talk about this, because that would be really cool. But we're going to keep it real about some things that- during this sermon series. Today we're going to be talking about trust. And-, and really what this whole sermon series is about, we're- we are talking about finances and we're talking about giving, because um, this is an important thing for us. And and so if, if, if when you hear that, when you come into church and you hear we're talking about finances and you kind of bristle at that, I want you to, st- I want to encourage you to stick with me because it does come up a couple times every year. You, you know that in church you're going you're gonna to hear about this topic. And the reason is because it is so important. And it's something that is, it, it's so important for our hearts. Uh, what if God wants to be able to bless you in a way that you're not expecting? Wouldn't it at least be worth hearing out what that blessing could possibly be? Now, I think that 100% trust is a really, really tough thing. Uh, it's, tough, it's tough for us to have in any situation, to trust something 100%. Um, I actually have it in my pocket here. I'm going to pull it out. I have a, a carabiner here, and a lot of you know what this is all about. Some of you use it a lot. Some, some of you are like me, and you never use it. Um, but there was one time, one day in my life where I had to put 100% trust in one of these things. My wife decided to do, to do the dumbest thing that she's ever decided to do in her life. She decided she was going to go hang gliding. And I think I've, I've mentioned this, this before to, to you on a Sunday, but I don't know what got in her brain. She's like, yeah, I'm going to go hang gliding. We found some friends who, they, they had this guy that for 60 bucks, he'd take you up hang gliding. I'll tell you, for 60 bucks, it sounds like he doesn't have much experience. But my wife, she goes, and, and what happens is there's this electronic hang glider, and it, it's like hooked onto the hang glider that you go up with the instructor by this big string. And so it takes you up to about 3,000 feet, and then they kind of let the string go, and then you're just gliding down to earth. And I'm watching my wife up in the air, 3,000 feet up, and my, my hands are starting to sweat. I'm starting to, my, my heartbeat's just going like crazy, kind of like when I was at camp, and I back in the day, and I, I felt like God was going to call me to be a missionary in Egypt or something. You're just getting really nervous. 
I wasn't nervous about what was going to happen with my wife so much. I just didn't want her to outdo me. And so I'm getting nervous, like I'm going to have to go up. And so she comes down, and I've, I've, as she's up, I've made the decision, I've got to do this, even though I'm terrified. And what happens is they put you in this, you're laying on your stomach, and they put you in this thing that on the top of it, it, it connects to a carabiner, which connects to this hang glider. And the whole time I'm up at about, I got up to about 3,300 feet in the air, and they let it go, and all I could think about the whole time was, why didn't I bring one extra carabiner? Because if that one fails, I'm dying. I'm literally going to die, just fall to my death. And it's, it's really tough to put full trust in something. That was the, it was like the hardest 20 minutes of my life. And I think trusting God sometimes feels a little bit like that. Like, there is not enough safety measures available for me to put my full trust in God. It's just, it's not going to happen. But I think this, this is what trusting is about. Trusting isn't about us not having doubt. It's not about us feeling completely comfortable. It's actually about, I don't think we can have trust if we're feeling 100% comfortable. We have to have this discomfort and this doubt in order for there to be a thing called trust. And so, the question I want us to consider today is, is it really possible to put my full trust in the ability of Jesus to provide my every need? Especially when I feel like it doesn't seem like everything is being provided for. As a pastor, I'll be full out honest with you today. I'll keep it 100 here. Um, it, talking about giving is not my favorite thing. Talking about finance is not my favorite thing. And it's not because it's, it's not important. The reason is I've grown up in the church and I don't, I don't want people to come into the church and think that we're talking about a topic for the church's benefit. I want you to understand, I want to make it clear, the reason that I think that it's so important we talk about finances and why it's talked about in the Bible like crazy is because it is all about a heart thing for us. Where is my heart actually at? And so we're going to look today uh, at something that a guy named Luke wrote in his gospel, the Gospel of Luke. And Luke wrote a ton about wealth. He wrote about finances and money a lot in his writings. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to this parable in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is talking to a group of people who, uh, they're, they're struggling to trust in God. Uh, they're, they're really, they're putting their trust in wealth. And so he starts this parable in verse 16 of Luke 12. He told in this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever, for, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I want you to catch, before I go into any other part, I want you to catch what he said at the end there. Jesus helps us to see in this last verse that we can be rich in the things of this world, but we can still be poor with God. And that's something important for us to understand. And it reminds me of something that Jesus says in Matthew 16, 16. He said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 
Trusting God and trusting God with our finances, it is always going to be a heart thing for us. A heart thing. And a hard thing, maybe, too. It's going to be a heart thing. It's going to show us where our heart is at. And we can gain the whole world. We can gain all the possessions and everything that we want in this world. But if we don't have God, we literally have nothing. I want to take a, an opportunity here to just kind of go through three things that I think uh, these parables that Jesus says, man, these parables have so much that we can learn from them. But there's three things in particular that I think that we can point out today about what happens in us when we don't trust God. There's a couple things I think this parable shows us. First thing, that when we don't trust God, what happens is we trust in the things that are temporary and fragile. That's where our trust goes to. In Luke 12, 19, uh, this guy, has, he's realizing that he's, he's got all this grain. He's got a surplus amount of grain. And so he says to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy trusted in one thing. He trusted in his grain. And I know that sounds weird to you and me today, probably. Like, he's got so much grain, so what? But grain for him was his wealth. It was a thing he could sell to get money. It would provide food for him forever. And what happened is, is he put his trust in that. That's where everything that he relied on, that completely. Usually when we trust on things that are temporary and fragile... Uh, usually it's our money, it's our, it's our possessions. Uh, but we can trust in other things that are temporary and frag fragile. Some of us, it's, we trust in our good looks, or we trust in our, in our, our friends, or we trust in things, the, the people in our lives that respect us, the people that we go to work with, and all those, all those kinds of things. But all of these things that we put our trust in, they're temporary and fragile, and every temporary and fragile thing has one thing in common. They will not last. Our money is not going to last. One day the stock market will crash again, probably. If you have kids, well, they, they cost a bajillion dollars. Money is going to go away. It's not going to last. Good looks. Man, if you can find me somebody that looks as good at 90 as they did at 30, I'd like to see that. Like, we deteriorate. And some of us, our window for good looks is a lot smaller than others, right? like mine. Trust. Trust in friendships. We trust in our friendships. But man, people move away. People die. Friendships just kind of dissipate. If we're trusting in that, that, that's a pretty precarious thing to be trusting in. Or even in the respect of other people. I was thinking about um, the, what's the name? Esther. Not Esther. Mother Teresa. That's who it was. Esther's good. She's good in the Bible. But Mother Teresa... <laughs> Mother Teresa is like as awesome a person as you could probably come up with in your brain who's lived in the last, you know, 100 years or whatever. There's probably people in, in the world that don't respect her and her legacy. It doesn't matter who we are. Someone's always going to despise you. Everything in this world is temporary and it's fragile. Everything except for God. It's the only thing that's not temporary. Everything else has its ups and downs. You think about people's character. We all go through moments where our character is good and moments where our character is wanting. But God's character is always the same. Our financial wealth, the things that we possess, it actually can become sometimes a treacherous thing for us on a spiritual level. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that wealth is an evil thing. 
It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the things that we have in our life can sometimes become this tyranny in our lives, this thing that it becomes so easy to trust in that and not in the things that we should trust in. Like, I am, I am full on a numbers guy. I love working with numbers. If I weren't a pastor, I'd probably be a math teacher like my two sisters are. Um, so every month I, I like to go, go through our, my family's finances at the end of the month. Just did it yesterday just because I don't need to, but I just, I like it. And I will say, I, th- I know without, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I feel more secure and more confident when those financial numbers look good at the end of the month. I do. But that's not what I want to be the thing that's giving me security. I don't want it to be my finances that's the thing that's giving me security. And I think actually over time, little by little, God is helping me to feel kind of that same level of security and confidence no matter what those financial numbers look like at the end of the month. But think about this. If I'm only feeling that confidence and that security when financial numbers are looking the right, in the right place, am I really trusting in God? Am I really trusting in God if that's, if that's what's giving, giving me confidence? If I'm not putting my trust in, that, in the eternal salvation that Jesus wants to give me through what he did on the cross, if I'm not trusting in the eternal care that God has for me, but I'm trusting in the what my financial book looks like, am I really trusting God? And frankly, if we're trusting in things that are temporary and fragile, we're going to be up and down. And that's a, it's just a tough way to live. Our confidence is going to be up and down. Security doesn't waver when my trust is placed in a God who doesn't change. God is the only thing that we know that doesn't change, that is eternal. And it's the only he is the only thing that we can put our confidence in where our security is going to be set. Another thing that happens when we don't trust God is we actually look out for ourselves first. That's just a natural thing that's going to happen. Uh, Luke 12, 18. Again, this guy is, he's figuring out that he's got all this grain, and, and so he's going to be super wealthy. And so he says to himself, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. This guy in Jesus' parable, he is, he's making it in life. Dude is rolling the dough. He's got tons of grain. You make dough out of grain. He's rolling the dough. Yeah, see, I didn't know if anybody would catch that. I know, I'm really, I'm super stupid. I get it. I apologize. Dude is making it. He's got tons of money. He's got a surplus. And what was his main concern? His main concern was how he was going to store that surplus. His main concern wasn't with how can I go and disperse this surplus to other people who need it more? How can I maybe sell this for a cheaper price than what grain is usually sold for to help some people? He was concerned about how he was going to store that surplus. His concern was was how he was going to stash it away. Now, as we look at that and as we observe that, I don't want you to think that I'm going to go and, and harp on we shouldn't be saving for future. That, like, that's not, that's not a bad thing. In fact, I think not saving for the future, not preparing for what's, on, what's down the road financially, I think the Bible would actually, has a lot of places in the Bible that would be like, yeah, that's, that's just not good stewardship. But when we look at this guy's attitude in this verse, where he's saying, man, I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build all these big, 
big barns to store my surplus. And then in the, in the next verse that we just had talked about, where he says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take time to relax. I'm going to enjoy this wealth, all this stuff. We look at his attitude. His attitude is completely about using his surplus for his own benefit, for his own good. That is all that he's concerned with. Having possessions is not a bad thing. In fact, I think that God gives people wealth, and it's a good thing. But it's a good thing that should be reciprocated somehow. If we really trust God, we can trust that he's providing for something that is bigger than just me. See, I I like the way that we look at what Jesus did on the cross. We all, I think, realize that Jesus died on a cross not just to forgive me for my sins, but hopefully every person that's ever lived on the face of the earth and ever will live will accept what Jesus did on the cross for them. That it was so much bigger than just for me. But then we take these little blessings that God gives us, especially worldly financial possession kind of blessings, and we think that our name is attached to it, and it's just my name that's attached to it. And I don't think that that's the way God wants us to look at it. I love stories about people who help people with stuff. Um, I was reading this week about an actor uh, named Ashton Kutcher. A lot of you probably have seen stuff with that guy in it. Um, 15, 20 years ago, he, well, the thing that he was big on was that 70s show. And over the last few years, he's actually been taking a lot less acting roles because he's gotten really um, engrossed in trying to put a stop to human trafficking and child pornography. In fact, he actually helped start, in 2008, he helped start a, a business or an organization called Thorn. And he was given an, an interview in 2016 about what that organization does. And he says, we've built a tool to help law enforcement prioritize their caseload and to recover victims and to find traffickers. We found and identified and recovered over 6,000 trafficking victims this year. We found and identified and recovered 2,000 traffickers. That's what they did in 2016. And I love this. I was looking at it. This guy is worth, uh, the internet, the, the World Wide Web says this guy is worth like $200 million. And he could have been fine just kind of stashing that money away and living his life just to please himself and getting more acting roles and adding to that surplus even more. But he decided to use what he'd been blessed with and the platform he'd been blessed with to try to bring an end to one of the darkest, most evil, most vile things that our world has in it, which is human trafficking and child pornography. I think that's just super cool. I think that when we give, when we give out of our, the goodness of our hearts, when we look to bless other people the way that God's blessed us, we are trusting God to look out for us. When I give my money to something that, that I think God wants to, me to give to, it's me saying, God, I trust that you're going to continue to take care of me, even though I'm giving this money. Um, when we give blood, I hate needles. I hate blood. Like, I'm not good with that stuff. Um, and so a couple times I've given blood in my life, and they put, I have to, I'm like, just tell me when you're going to do it so I can look away. I'm like a little child. And then, but I can't even look at it the whole time that, that the blood is pumping because I, just, I hate seeing blood pump out of me into this bag. And so I'm like doing this, looking away. But the whole time I'm actually, I have to tell my thing, myself things like, Lord, I know that I don't need this blood. I'm going to live. I'm going to make it. And one time I got up and I was like super lightheaded. I'm like, I'm going to die. No, I'm not, Lord, I believe it. And it. But it feels good. Like they tell me every time, like, you just saved three lives. I'm like, yes, I did. 
Mm-hmm. Giving, it's just, we know that it's right. Giving time to somebody, a friend who we know needs, needs our time. It's something that we're, we give that and we're trusting God that that's the best time that I, the best way that I can spend that time right now. We have gifts that aren't meant just for us. We have talents that aren't meant just for us. We have time that's not meant just for us. But selfishness is a telltale sign that we are not trusting God. It's a telltale sign that we're trusting our money rather than we're trusting God. We're trusting ourselves rather than trusting God. Selfishness doesn't control me when I choose to not see my possessions as mine, but as a gift from God. If I'm choosing to see the things that God has given me as a gift from him, it's really hard for me to be selfish with it. It's a lot easier for me to, when God says, hey, give it away, to be like, all right, I'll give it away. Another thing that we do when we don't trust God is we neglect the spiritual side of life. Looking back here in Luke 12, verse 20, uh, so this guy, again, he's, he's found that he's got this surplus of money, and he's going to go out and he's going to live his life the way that he wants to, just for himself. But God says to him, you fool, this very night your life will, will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, I think that this resembles our, our lives so much of the time. We are out there preparing for all these things that really don't have a ton of value. And like, this, like God said to this guy, man, you're going to, it doesn't matter that you've got all this stuff. You're going to die today. And I wonder what, what would change in the way that we think about what is important to us if we knew that today was the last day that we were going to live on, this, on the face of this earth. I know things would immediately change for me. That certain things would seem inconsequential. Where the stock market's at, I wouldn't care. What happens tonight in NBA Finals Game 2 for the Warriors, I wouldn't care. How my kids are doing in sports and academics, I wouldn't care. A lot of things would become inconsequential. How my, how my house looks when people come over. The project at work that's just kind of getting behind schedule. The fact that my van is making noises, and I'm going to have to take care of it. All those things, they would just become inconsequential. So why then on a daily basis do we let them matter more than the eternal spiritual side of our lives? Why do we spend so much time preparing for things that don't have an eternal value? Why do we spend most all of our money on things that, that meet my immediate concerns and don't have this, this eternal spiritual impact on our world? The writer of Ecclesiastes says something really awesome in, in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. He says, I hated all things that I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. He, he's talking about this great irony that he's putting all of his en time and energy into all these things in the world that simply don't matter. And somebody's going to come after him, and they may, they may just... Let it all go by the wayside. And if he hasn't done anything on the spiritual level, all the stuff that he's done in life, it literally comes to nothing. It's kind of a depressing thought sometimes if we really think about it that way. But living for anything other than the eternal, it does lead to nothing. Spiritual health is found when I recognize that preparing my heart for eternity is more important than preparing my savings account for retirement. I'm not saying that preparing our savings accounts for retirement isn't important. 
but it's not as important as preparing my heart for eternity. Preparing my kids to be great athletes is not as important as preparing their heart for eternity. We get things mixed up. The bottom line is that God wants 100% of us. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I can trust Jesus 100% because he promises to give me 100% of the provision that I need. Philippians 4:19. my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, meeting those needs looks different to us sometimes than it does to God. It's not always financial. Sometimes it's spiritual, relational, physical. But he's promised to meet all of our needs. In that moment where your life is falling apart, in that moment where maybe your, your marriage is kind of breaking apart at the seams, or your kids are going down a path that you, it's like the last path that you wanted them to go down, or your job isn't paying you as much as you want it to, or it's not giving you the fulfillment that you want it to, or maybe being single just is no longer feels like the adventure it once did, and it feels like it's a weight on your shoulders. In those moments where it feels like your needs are not being met, what are you going to choose to believe? In those moments where you feel like your needs aren't being met, are you just going to look around at, at the things that you see and go, ah, God's not meeting my needs? Or are you going to start to see things the way that God sees them, that to believe that he sees things on a different plane than we do? Are we going to trust him in all the ways he asks us to? And we cannot get away from the fact that God asks us to trust him with our finances. We just can't get away from that fact. So there's a question that I want to pose to every single one of us today, and it's actually not a question for me. It's a question from the Bible. It's a question that God asks us in the Bible. And it has a lot to do with, do we have 100% trust in who God is? And the question is this, am I robbing God? Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He's talking about giving back to, to God giving back a tithe. And, and in Scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, we see that a tithe is giving 10% back what God has given us back to him. And there's a lot of people who want to be able to say, that's just, that's not a, that's not a command that God is, is really giving to me. Sometimes what we say is, that's an Old Testament thing, and Jesus kind of, he did away with that, that Old Testament law, and so it's not something that I really have to follow. But I actually think that we're in direct opposition to the actual teaching, teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, if that's the way that we think. See, Jesus, when he was preaching the greatest sermon he ever told, the Sermon on the Mount, you can look at it, it starts in Matthew 5. He actually does this thing where he makes, he makes it almost even harder for us to be obedient to God. Because he kind of he breaks it down. It's not about following rule after rule after rule after rule. But it's about giving your heart completely over to God. And that's a, much different, that's a much different, more difficult thing in some ways than following rules. To actually give my heart completely over to God, man, that takes everything in me. And 
part of, one of those stories that, that shows what this looks like, Jesus talks about this rich, these rich guys that would come into the temple, and they had tons and tons of money. And they would take their 10% tithe, and they would, so that everybody could see it, they would drop it into the bucket. And it was a ton of money that they would give. But then this one lady comes in, she's got two little coins. And Jesus talks about how she takes those two coins, it's all that she has, and she puts them into that bucket and gives it over to God. And what's interesting is that even though those guys at the beginning, they were doing, they were following the rule of giving 10%, they weren't doing what was right. It was the woman who gave from her heart that God commended, that Jesus commended. It's all about the heart. But sadly, I think that too many times we start to think that we can't afford to give back some of the money that God has given to us. And what I'm telling you is I don't think that we can afford not to. I know that my heart would be a lot worse off without God's command on me to give. I am selfish by nature. If it weren't for God's command for me to give, I guarantee that I would be a selfish person. I guarantee that I would keep everything that I possibly could for myself, and my heart would be corrupted because of that. See, I want you to understand God's command for us to give back some of what he's given, it's not a command that's meant to hurt us. It's a, a command that is meant to make our heart more like his. I talk, I talk to our kids at youth group all the time. I have them give to missions on a regular basis, and I talk to them about, I want, it's not what I want, I think God wants you guys to become givers, not takers. If we're, if we're so holding on to the things that we have, we become takers in this world instead of givers. And the heart of God is he is a giver. That's what he is, and that's why he's asking us to be givers. And so does this mean that, that I'm saying that every single one of us, you need to start giving 10% back to God? I, that, is, that is not the, the request that's being made today. I want you to understand that. There's a challenge that across Central Church, we are, we're putting out there for our people here. For the next 100 days, we're asking you to just take on yourself a 100-day challenge. The challenge is to up your giving for 100 days and see what God will do. Actually test God in this. And you might be like, man, we're not supposed to test God. This is actually the one thing in the scripture, in scriptures that God says, go ahead and test me. I already read it in Malachi 3.10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Understand, what I'm not saying is if you give 1% of what you have to God, that he's going to give you 1% cash back. Like this is not some awesome credit card program. The blessing that God will give you, God knows the blessings that you need more than the blessings that you need. It may be financially, it may be spiritual, it may be physical. I believe that as we become givers, that God holds true to his word and he blesses us in the ways that, that we need blessing. So here's the challenge. I'm challenging you. If you've never given before, give 1% for the next 100 days and see what God does. And you might go, like, what, what's the point of that? It just seems so small. I am a person who I hate doing sit-ups and push-ups. I despise it. There's nothing about, especially push-ups. I have really small arms, as you can tell. I, I hate, but I want to be somebody who does push-ups and sit-ups because I think, I think I would be, you know, I would look better for my wife. Let's be honest. That's the only reason I care, okay? 
And I was reading a book the other day about if you want to be something, do it in small increments for a, a long extended amount of time until it becomes something that you are. And the, the author used the example of if you want to be somebody who, go, who goes to the gym and works out, then start going to the gym, go in and get dressed in the locker room, go out to the, to the weight room, work out for five minutes, and go home. And I was like, what in the that's, like, that's not That's not doing anything. But the whole point is to change your mode of thinking to I am a person who goes to the gym and works out. And then eventually, once you've become that, you start actually working out. And so that's what I'm trying to do with sit-ups and push-ups. I'm like, I can do 50 sit-ups and 10 push-ups a day, even though I hate it. And I'm trying to do that for a bunch of days until like, I become a person in my mind who I do sit-ups and push-ups. And for some of us, if we've never given before, that's all we need to do. Start putting a dollar in an offering bucket at church. Start doing it until you become a person who gives. In your mind, you become a person who gives. What if you give 5% already? Try to give 6%. Maybe try to give 10%. If you give 10% already, maybe try to give 11%. Or you've been wanting to, to, to spend $30 a month for a long time to support an orphan. Start doing that. But up your giving for the next 100 days. Our challenge to you is to take on this 100-day challenge and to see how God will bless you in that 100 days. And maybe you don't want to think about it that way. Maybe you think that's icky. I don't Think about then how can I be an awesome blessing for the next 100 days. This challenge isn't easy. It's a tough challenge. But I don't think God is really an easy God. God asked his son Jesus to, go, to come to this earth and to, to live in difficulty and to go to a cross and die a death for you and for me. And then that Jesus asked his followers to go and to, to preach about him to the rest of the world. He asked his followers to give up their lives for other people. Giving back some of what God has given to us financially, it's part of that sacrifice for the gospel. It's part of letting God do something in our hearts that only he can do. To help to, to let God make us the compassionate, selfless people that he wants us to be like he is. It's that thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that God has given to us by what Jesus did on the cross. What I want to do is I want to challenge you to be thinking, how can I respond to a 100-day challenge like this? Why don't you pray with me?